It is well after 10 o'clock at night. And I know everybody here has had a very long and busy day. You've already heard from Rabbi Pesach Krohn, Rabbi Wallerstein, and uh, uh, Rabbi Shore, and uh, had a busy day. And I'm sure everybody now would really like to just go to sleep. So I'll give you a few minutes. Once you're all sleeping, I'll continue quietly, yeah? <laughs> but the truth of the matter is that Jackie Mason says that if you go down to Miami Beach and you want to get a hotel room, it'll cost $100. But if you want one where you can see the ocean, it'll cost you $2,000. He says, so when I have a view of the sea, I sleep with one eye open to make sure I get my money's worth, yeah? <laughs> so... I know everyone's going to stay up because it's already paid for, you know. Uh, we used to go away to a hotel. I was a teenager. What does a teenager want to do? Sleep on their vacation. Seven o'clock in the morning, my father's knocking on my door. It's breakfast. It's breakfast. I said, Dad, I'm not hungry. He says, it's paid for. So you're going to eat it anyway. The topic I was given to speak about this evening is marriage because you left all your wives behind. <laughs> so we can basically say anything we want. <laughs> when they're there, I have to be on my best behavior. So uh, the, um, I, I want to start off by telling you an interesting story. Uh, a young man who was learning in a small yeshiva in Israel that you may have heard of, it's called the Mir. And uh, it's a bit. I'm gonna go get married. You know, in the yeshiva they go with shiduchim, you know, they, people set them up, they go out, they get married. He says, and I've been dating and I realize I have no idea what I'm doing. So could you, I'd invite some people who are already dating and give us a class on dating. I said, why me? I don't work in the mirror. There's a hundred people who work there. Ask one of them. He says, nobody does this. I said, well, then why should I do it? I'm, I'm not getting paid. There's no reason I, I well, go to somebody in the mirror. He says, let me ask you a question. If my marriage was falling apart and I came to you and I said, I'm going to get divorced, would you make time to see me? time efficient for you because you won't have to talk to me later it's a Gemara cup you say you sit there and you learn so I fell for it I said okay so he said I'm only inviting people who I know personally would like to gain from this all right he pulled together 15 guys and we were in the uh, one of the cheer rooms in Or Sameach where I was teaching at the time and uh, and they all came, they all had their notes, they were all ready, they had notebooks. And I started off with a trick question. I do this sometimes. I asked a trick question. I said, why should you get married? This is a trick question. Just like when you ask somebody, why should you be a Jew? That's a trick question. Also, if you ask, why should you have children? It's a trick question. Because nobody knows how to answer these questions, you know? Uh, and I figure I'll throw them off at the beginning. So why should we get married? So one guy raises his hand right away and he says, 
to give. And you can see everybody was patting him on the back. Chazak Baruch, beautiful. A great answer, you know? He must have read a book, you know what I mean? <laughs> to give. I bet when he went on a date, girls love that. I want to get married to give, you know? I said, why, there's no one to give to in the mirror? You can't learn with a younger student? You can't clean up the apartment? You got to get married to give? He was so upset, he had practiced this answer. It always worked for him. So now they're kind of stuck. They have to actually stop and think, why should I get married? So a guy says, to have children. I said, so you're not going to look for a girl, you're going to look for good DNA. Understand? Check it out. See if she has strong breeding stock, you know, like a prized cow, bring you many sons, you know. I said, that's what you're looking for, right? You won't have to waste so much time, you know, dating. You'll just go to a geneticist to check out good material, you know. So a guy says to me, there's so much to do in life, one person can't do it themselves. I said, hire an assistant and pay them by the hour. It's much cheaper. You don't have to buy them jewelry, you know what I'm saying? You could probably get away with minimum wage, you know? A husband comes home and his wife says, you owe me money. How do you owe money to somebody who lives in your house? <laughs> and the husband's like, oh, how much do I owe you? Wait, here, here. <laughs> if you have an assistant, you don't have any problem, you pay money out. So a guy says to me, it's a mitzvah. I said, oh, that's easy. The first girl you go out with, hit any mukha on a mazumah, lakai and mitzvah, give her the ring, go back to the base madrash, you won't have to waste too much time, you know? So they were, they were stuck. They were stuck. So finally, one guy told the truth. Why should you get married? My mother is making me. That's a good answer. And that's the only real true answer, you know? So they say to me, okay, okay, you stumped us. Why should we get married? I said, I will give you the answer to this question, but I want you to first stop and think for a few minutes, yeah, that you were just, it was just luck that you came here. You could have gone out, gotten married, you know, and you never knew the answer to this question. I said, but don't feel too bad. You can talk to people who've been married for 10 years, they also don't know the answer to the question, you know? Most people don't know. It's the simplest questions that are the hardest to answer. You know? Every parent says, I want to have good kids. I want to have good kids. What's a good kid? What's a... I don't know. I don't know. I just want him to be a good kid. Yeah? Do you ever work for a boss like that? No, of course not. You all own your own businesses. But if you, if you ever work for somebody, the first guy I worked for, he says to me, um, he tells me what my job is, and I did an unbelievable job and he says to me but you didn't do this one thing I said you never told me to because I know but that was important to me so after that I would always sit down with the boss before and I say tell me what my job is so if we sit down at the end of the year you can tell me whether I did my job or not you know how hard that is for people to do nobody wants to define anything because then I then you're gonna hold me to it so when you say to somebody, why am I getting married? What's a good kid? What's a successful life? Everybody wants to be a good person. You say to a person, I, I want to be a good person. What's a good person? Someone who doesn't kill, someone who doesn't steal. I said, that's not a good person. That's a person in a coma. 
You understand? They don't steal, they don't kill, they just lie there. You know what I mean? I said, I'll tell you better than that. There's somebody firing into a, a bunch of children. The only way you can stop them is to shoot them. Are you a bad person if you shoot them? You know, you, you come with definitions. You don't even know what you're talking about. That's the problem. So when we say, why should we get married? That's why it's a trick question, because most people don't really think about it. You ever meet people towards the end of their lives who say something like, I wish I'd lived my life differently. So why didn't you? Because I never thought about it. I never knew what was important to me. I never stopped to think where I want to be at the end of my life. Stephen Covey wrote a book called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Very popular book. He says, a business has what's called a, uh, you know, a, a plan, a mission statement. He says, a person should have one too. What would be a successful life? And he says, the way you know this is write your hesped, write your eulogy. Who do I want to be at the end of my life? Because most people, if they did that, would realize it's not the life I'm living. Right? Who do I really want to be at the end of my life? I have to think about that because that's who I want to be at the end. I have to know where I'm going. Without definitions, everything is hard. So when I say, I want to have a good marriage, I want to get married, and you don't know why, what is a good marriage? What am I trying to do? Okay. <clears throat> if you read books about marriage, they're very popular. There's a lot of books on marriage. They'll tell you the most important thing is good communication. Why? Because I have to make sure you understand what my needs are, and you explain to me what your needs are, and then we can meet each other's needs, right? That's the goal. That's not the goal. That's not the goal. Because if I say, I'll give you an example. A chatan comes to the Beit Knesset. So he, we don't say tachnun. Don't say tachnun. Why? Because it's a simcha. What's the simcha? Because this guy got married? So now he knows how to communicate and tell his wife what he wants, and his wife will tell him what she wants, and everybody will get what they want. If so, you shouldn't say tachnun tomorrow. Look at the steak you just had. Look at the chicken you just had. You had such a great time. No tachnun. Now, I've been to shuls that are like that. That's more than enough reason not to have to say tachnun, you know? I've seen it done on less, you know what I mean? But who cares if you're happy? <laughs> because you met somebody who's going to take care of you, so now I don't say tachnun? Well, why should that mean anything? I said to them, why do we get married? Why do we get married? If you want to understand who the Jews really are, look at our enemies. Our enemies understand us better than we understand ourselves. The Hamas was shooting hundreds of missiles into Israel. They weren't hitting. Right? Every time you hear the jail on the news, it hit a shetach patuach, an open area. Right? One fell on a lot in a shetach patuach. You know what that was? A parking lot in between two hotels. That's where it landed. One fell in B'nai Brak in a shetach patuach. All of the builders ran off. They didn't even know there was an open area left in B'nai Brak, you know? They ran to buy it, put up a building, you know? 
My son told me once, what do you find in between two buildings in Bnei Brak? Another building. You know what I mean? So, so they, the CNN asked the Hamas, and they said, I don't know. When we practice shooting, we always hit the target. It's only when we shoot into Israel that we miss. Our enemies understand us better than we do. Pyro understood who we were. Haman understood who, they, who we were. Yeah? Bilam wants to curse the Jewish people. And his curses turned into brachot. His last curse, where he wanted to give the best that he could, he turned it into a bracha. Ma tovu ohalecha Yaakov, mishkan asecha Yisrael. Look how beautiful are your homes. Every home is a mishkan. I don't know how you translate mishkan. It's a tabernacle. It's, it's, it's a, it means that it's the Beit HaMikdash. That's what it means. It means every home is a Beit HaMikdash. What does that mean? If you want to destroy a people, destroy their government, destroy their central uh, you know, institutions, if, if there's a, a Beit HaMikdash, you destroy that, that should be the end of the people. But says Bilam, what can I do to the Jews? Every home is a Beit HaMikdash. Every Jewish home. And if you want to destroy the Jewish people, you're going to have to destroy the Jewish home. So what does he do? He tells Moab and Midian, send your girls to go after the Jewish men and you'll destroy the Jewish home. And sure enough, a magefa came, a plague, 24,000 people died. It would have been more, except Pinchas stood up and stopped it. But, you know, that would have been the end of us. Because all you have to do is destroy what is a Jewish home, and everything falls apart. That's the secret. Every home is a mishkan. Eliezer goes to find a wife for Yitzchak, the first Jewish boy to get married. Could you imagine? You're the only Jewish boy, and you got to find a girl. How, could, how is that even possible? Because his mother died, that's why. Otherwise, forget it. She wouldn't have found one girl who she would have approved of, you know what I mean? But okay. So they, so they bring home a girl, and Eliezer says, What a shidduch I found for you! She's beautiful. Wait, not only she's beautiful, she's so from, 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 you know. Not only that, midot tavot. Ah, let me tell you, she was running around with a little pitcher, you know, filling it up for the camels, you know, wow, wonderful. Wait, I'll tell you better than that. Yeah, I had nisim. Yeah, we got there really fast. It got back really fast. The water in the well came up to greet her. Yeah, on and on and on. And Yitzchak says, very nice. I want to know only one thing. When she goes into the tent, she goes into my mother's tent, will all of the nisim of the Beit HaMikdash that took place for my mother happen for her? Will the cloud come back? Will the candle stay burning? Will the bread stay warm? Because I'm not looking for miracles. You don't get married with miracles. You know, uh, people go to Israel. They go to, they go to pray by Yonason ben Uziel, by his grave in Amukah. They have a miracle. So this guy uh, goes, goes to pray in Amukah, and he sees there's a sitter. He opens up the sitter. It's in English, name and address, in America. Somebody forgot their sitter. So he calls up the number when he gets back home in Yerushalayim, and he says, oh, that must be my 
my brother, he's there with his children, and they must have gone to Amuka. I'll tell you which hotel they're staying at. And the daughter, beautiful, wonderful, nice. It must be a miracle. I went to Yonas and Buzil. I found the sitter. She's right here. They start going out. They get married. Beautiful. Two years later, they're divorced. Don't get married on miracles. You understand? It sounds like a great way to get married. Not a way to get married. You know? What? I don't want to hear about your miracles. My parents, when they got married, they got married for one thing, and they used to tell us this all the time. Yeah? I want to build a Jewish home. I want to build a bias Neman Bishel. I want to build a home where I'm going to teach my children what my parents taught us and what their parents taught them and what their parents taught them. A home, when we build a home, is the Beit HaMikdash where we're going to give it over to the next generation to keep it going. When we talk about the Geula, how do we describe it? A Chatan and a Kala. Because when a Chatan and a Kala come together, they build the base Hamikdash. The Gemara says that when Shlomo HaMelech built the Beit HaMikdash, he decorated it with pictures of men and women embracing. Do not try this in your Bet Knesset, even if it's very liberal. It doesn't go over so much today. But that's how he decorated the Beit HaMikdash. Why? Because the Beit HaMikdash was not a place where we just went. You can serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu with Yira. You go and we're so afraid, oh Hashem. I spoke in England. I don't know if you've ever been in England. When you go to England, they have these old Batakinesiot. You know, and the Rav gets up and he goes, You are in a house of the Lord. Lord, Lord, Lord. <laughs> Please maintain the decorum. Quorum, quorum, quorum. <laughs> everyone says, like this. Yeah. That's one way. And then you can go like a child to a father. Like a father has mercy on his children. That's not the way, the best way to go to Hashem. The best way is Shia Hashirim. Shia Hashirim, which is a love song, a poem between a man and a woman. And it describes how beautiful the woman is, it describes how beautiful the man is, and it describes lots of stuff. We won't discuss it here. We're in Lakewood. But uh, if you ever invite me to Panama, I'll tell you what it says. But anyway, <laughs> I can't get into much trouble over there. But, uh, you know, when it's, it's, it's unbelievable. I was a teenager. About Chuva. Yeah? You know, I don't know if you know this. In, in English, you know, they have these terms. They have an FFB. That's from, from birth. Means you were born from, Yeah? Is a BT, stands for Balchuva. I was what was called an FBT, a flaming Balchuva. You understand? You know, you're like real intense, you know. 
So it's Chalmai Pesach, and they're reading Shir Shirim. And this 30-year-old guy, he nudges me. He says, hey, kid, here's a great line. I bet a girl would like this. I said, sir, we're in synagogue. This is scripture, a little respect. He said, yeah, but I can't believe they let this in. This is, this is pretty graphic stuff. Now, Baruch Hashem, art school translated it, so you don't even know what it means. There's not a problem anymore. <laughs> they made the world safe, yeah? When I was a kid, they only had the Sancino, and it, they explained everything, yeah? And now the world is safe again. But, um, you know. So instead of saying, I grow drunk from your kisses, it says, I love to be close to God's word. Anyway, so, uh, so he says, I can't believe they let this in. Sure. That's why the Chachamim wanted to hide away Shir Shirim. They wanted him to know it existed. It's going to be a safer Kabbalah. Because it was too deep for people. Why? You know, ever wonder about this? The Mishnah says five terrible things happened on Tishabov. Right? Beit HaMikdash was destroyed. Second Beit HaMikdash was destroyed. The Jews in the Midbar, in the desert, were told they were all going to die and they weren't going to go into Israel. The city of Betar was killed. Millions of people, it says the blood flowed like a river. And Tanis Rufus plowed the Harabais. Okay, it's not up there with everything else and you think about it. Why? It says because a Bayit is a place where a husband and a wife live. Says the Gemara, I never called my wife Ishti, I called her Beiti. A bayit is a place. Yeah, there's an unbelievable book called The Tzaddik in Our Time um, about Ayah Levin, Tzaddik of Yerushalayim. And uh, he gets into a taxi and the driver says, No, Eva, a bayit shelcha? Where's your home? And he said, Ishti Meta, my wife died. Ainli Bayit. I don't have a home. Rak Yeshli Dira. I only have an apartment, but I don't have a Bayit anymore. A Bayit is a place where a husband and a wife live. When Tanus Rufus plowed it, he said, You don't have a Bayit anymore. You don't have a place where you're going to live with HaKadosh Baruch Hu like an Isha and Isha. Like Shlomo Melech decorated the Beit HaMikdash with those pictures. Okay. <laughs> I can take a hint. You want me to go? I'll go. <laughs> they're, they're already giving me directions. <laughs> I have to talk. I'm, I'm getting paid. Anyway, <laughs> you don't have to listen. You're not getting paid. Anyway, so, <laughs> so uh, you know, this is supposed to be how we're supposed to approach HaKadosh Baruch Hu. I told these guys, you know why you get married? Because only when you get married can you begin to understand how to relate to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. 
We are supposed to relate to Hashem like a husband and a wife. That's the ideal. It's not supposed to be fear. It's not even supposed to be love. It's more than that. It's passion. It's a desire. Like a husband and wife want to be together. So when a husband and wife get married, it's because they're building the Beit HaMikdash. A woman said to me once, I stay home, I do housework. Where's the meaning? Where's the Kedusha? I said, what do you think the Kohanim did in the Beit HaMikdash? They sifted the flour, they made the dough, they baked the bread, they roasted the meat. They even did sponja. You know, you've been to Israel. They stopped it, stopped it up, you know, washed out the floor. I said, they did housework. What made it kadosh is they knew they were in the Beit HaMikdash. That's what made it holy. When she says, so how do I look at that when I have a sink full of dishes? I said, you think a sink full of dishes has any less kadusha than washing the inside of a cow in a bucket? I said, what makes it kadosh is because you know you are in the Beit HaMikdash. You are the Kohen who's working there. Our home is a makom kadosh. And you should know, this is such an important... To a Jewish home. It's not the street. Rabbi Olerich told me that he heard from one of his rebbeim, you should always speak a different language in the house than they speak in the street. So when I lived in America, he said, we spoke Yiddish in the house. When I moved to Israel, we spoke English in the house. Because outside they were speaking Hebrew. And that's why I moved to Israel, because the only language I know is English. So what am I going to do? I had to go someplace where I didn't speak it outside, yeah? But when people walk into a Jewish home, this is not the street. This is a holy place. There's a mezuzah on the door that tells me I'm walking into a place that is holy. We behave in a different way. is because when we build a Jewish home, a Beit Naaman be Israel, then we know that we're building something that's going to be a Mishkan. It's for all of Klai Yisrael. That's why they don't say Tachnan. This is a little bit rebuilding the base of Mikdash. It's part of the Geula. We get married for ourselves. Yeah? Those who are, I'm looking around the room, probably your children's generation, you know, they get married, they get married for themselves. About me and you. When it's about me and you, then we take a different attitude towards it. I don't know if I told this story the last time. I'll tell, uh, if so, you'll forgive me, I'm telling it again. Um, Rabnasen Svi Finkel. Anyway, <laughs> could be. Anyway, so um, I used to give a parasha shir, parashat shavuah, in Or Sameach, in the beginners program. So beginners used to come, and guys from the Mir and the Brisk 
Because they liked the things that I was saying. I said it on a simple level, but, but they were deep ideas. One of the guys who came was Rav Nassim Svi Finkel, the Rosh Hashiva of the Mir. His name is uh, Schultz. Howard Schultz. He wrote an email that went around. And he said, I went with a group of business leaders, very wealthy people to Israel. And we met with all kinds of people from all around. And one of the people we met with was the Rosh Hashiva of the Mir, from Nussan Svi Finkel. And he had terrible Parkinson's. He was shaking very much. And we were uncomfortable. It was hard to look at him. And he bangs on the table. And he says, gentlemen, you're very busy people. I don't want to waste your time. What did we learn from the Holocaust? So people said, we have to fight back. We have to have an army. Never again. We have to learn this. And he said, no. You know what we learned? We learned in the concentration camps in Auschwitz that five people could sleep with one blanket. You have the blanket. Go home and share it with other Jews. That's what Howard Schultz wrote. His Gabbai told me this story. And afterwards, people said, how could it be you're the only one who knows it? And I found him, and I asked him again, and he says, yeah, I was there. Howard Schultz came back another time by himself to Rebnussen Svi Finkel. And he pulled out a check, and he signed it. And he said, Rabbi, <coughs> fill it out for whatever you want. I used to watch Rebnussen Svi. There were times he couldn't walk. They would, they would take him by the arms and drag him. His, his legs locked. It was very hard. There were times when he couldn't learn. He would just lie and he couldn't move. For him to run around and collect money was very hard. The budget of the Mir was $2 million a month. He could have written down $2 million and Howard Schultz wouldn't have blinked. You can do that when you charge $20 for a cup of coffee. So it's not a big deal, yeah? Write down $2 million. Wouldn't have thought anything about it. So Nussin Finkel looked at Howard Schultz and said, I can fill it in for anything I want? And he said, yes. And he filled it out for $1,400. And he says, take this check across the street over there and buy a pair of fill-in and put it on every day. That's what you can do for me. Because Howard Schultz thought he was going to do him a favor because he had the blanket. But you know what? Nussin Svi also had a blanket. And he wanted to share his blanket with Howard Schultz instead of just looking, what can I get from me? It says in the generation, and this must be what he was basing it on, in the generation of Rev Yehuda Bar Eloi, people were so poor, but they could have brought Mashiach. How poor were they? Five people slept with one blanket. Astrid Chaim Shmulovitz, the Rashiva of the mirror before him, how could five people sleep with one blanket? He says, there's only one way. Every time you realize the blanket's on you, you push it to the next person. You always make sure the other person is covered. Psychologists told us how to have happy marriages. And the divorce rate shot up to 60%. <laughs> so they decided to ask people who are married a long time. 15 years. Long time. Yeah. Because, you know, if you make 
15 years, that's, that's, you know. John Gray, one of the experts on marriage, wrote a book, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. Someone said to me, does he know what he's talking about? He goes, I said, he must. He's much more of an expert than I am. He's been married four times. I've only been married once. You know what I mean? So, he must really know about marriage much more than I do. You know? so, so they, psychology today, this was the 1980s, they did a survey. They were married 15 years. What's the secret of a good marriage? And everything says they were shocked by the answer. The number one answer was, I got married expecting to give 90% and take 10%. I wanted to make sure that I pushed the blanket onto the other person. Instead of filling it out for the $2 million that I need, I filled it out for the $1,400 that he needs. And if everybody's looking, what can I do to make sure that they're better off? Yeah? I mentioned Rabbi Levin. He went to the doctor with his wife once, and he said, our leg hurts. His wife's leg hurt. Our leg hurts. If you're hurting, I'm hurting. Yeah? When I build a home that's a mishkan, then it's not about me and it's not about you. It's about us. It's not about me getting my personal fulfillment. It's a question of us doing something for the world. I want to build a home. Otherwise, I need to get married. I need to have children. I need all this for what? You know? But if I'm doing it, I'm doing it because, whether I know this or not, I want to build something in this world. I want to build something that I know I'm going to be able to pass on. I was learning with my son. Now he's 30 years old. When he was a little boy, you know, he, so Shabbos morning, we'd go to shul together, and after shul, we'd learn what he did during the week. And he was learning something, and I wasn't, I didn't know it. And he said to me, how could you not know this? You're an Abba. I said, because I didn't have the chance that you have to learn. I'll sit in your shir and listen to your Torah. Because what greater thrill could there be for a parent than knowing we built a home where our children take everything that we have and we pass it down and they'll pass it to their children and their children. Because whatever we have, we got from our parents and our grandparents and our great-grandparents. Or we would not be here today. Nisim flows. It's a miracle that over a hundred people from Panama fly into Lakewood to have such a great vacation. Listen to speeches, run around to yeshivas. What a thrill. Huh? Is that not fun? I don't know what it is. Imagine some people go on a cruise. Huh? They could be sitting and listening to rabbis speak all day and all night. What a thing they're missing out on. You think this is not a miracle? And there's no, I heard this from an Adam Gadol, I heard this from a great man. There's holy man who, who prayed for you. Look how many people have disappeared. Someone just told me that they had a big wedding, I think it was in uh, Colombia, right? They made a big wedding because a Jew married another Jew. And that was such an unusual thing.
after 2,000 years of Golis. And we're only here because somebody cared enough to make a Jewish home. When we get married, you think of all the Klanikites, all the silliness, all the little stuff that we fight about. A life where we build a home that when people walk into it, they say, this isn't the street. <coughs> this is the Beit HaMikdash. This is a holy place. And if we take that approach and we make our home, that kind of a home, for our children. You know? When you look at the Pesach Seder, do you say, is this a Seder that my kids want to be at? Or am I just doing what I always did? Is my Shabbat, when we have, we have the, the meal together, is it something that my kids want to be at? Is Hanukkah something that's alive, something that's exciting? <clears throat> the more we invest and we work together to build something that's going to last forever, that's going to be a Beit HaMikdash, then we will be able to look at our grandchildren and great-grandchildren and say to them, when it comes true, We'll hear again, That's what we want to see for our children and our grandchildren, and it starts with us. I can't control anything in this world but me. And the more I make me into the person that I'm supposed to be, and I make my home into that home, then my children and grandchildren will be those people. Mirza Hashem, we should all be zochet to this.